Welcome to ATBS, the podcast, where we drop weekly episodes for the curious, engaged, and open-minded among us. Topics have ranged from threshold experiences to entanglement theory, from powerful polypores to a life lived in the vertical world. If you're a new listener, welcome. I encourage you to explore the library of 42 past episodes. Today's guest and I share St. Lawrence University as an alma mater. She is an Adirondack resident. She's part of the High Peaks Trail crew. She's a ski patroller at Whiteface Mountain. And this summer, she will be the caretaker at Lake Colden, which is located deep in the High Peaks wilderness of the Adirondack Park. Caitlin is a woman of the woods. Let's take a walk with Caitlin Kelly. Caitlin, welcome to ATBS, the podcast. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. It is my pleasure. One of the things I love about doing what I do here is exploring who might be interesting to talk to, and then it takes some time to put it together. Just, it doesn't take a lot of time to, it, it takes a little bit of time to coordinate schedules. And when it finally comes together, I just, it brings a big smile to my face. And, and uh, so thank you for making time and, and being here with me. Yeah, of course. I think it'd be a great place to start. What did you do today, Caitlin? Yeah, so I work for the Department of Environmental Conservation, both in the summer and the winter. In the summers, I'm a caretaker in the High Peace Wilderness. I'll be at Lake Holden this summer. But in the wintertime, I'm not a winter caretaker. I do ski trail maintenance mostly. So we are out there patrolling the ski trails. We cut down blowdown, blowdown trees, and... We actually pack in some of the ski trails and shovel snow into them. So there's less depressions and compressions. And so it's a little more like level. We do that for skiers, but also for rescues. If there's a snowmobile that needs to go up to Avalanche Pass, they can do that if someone's hurt up there. So we're maintaining it both for rescues and for skiers. Today, we went up and over Whale's Tail. We did that twice. We went up from Adirondack Lodge and then down and skied that. And no one had skied it. We got a couple inches last night. So no one one had skied it. And there's no blowdown, which is good. So we could kind of just fly down. We actually had to go to Marcy Dam, the outpost, and clean out one of the emergency food cabinets because we've had a really bad mouse year this year. So we had to clean out one of the cabinets there because there was a lot of mouse-chewed food items that we had to get rid of. So we we did that. We cleaned off the solar panel there because we just got like a little over a foot of snow in the last few days. And then it was the most gorgeous, sunny day we've had maybe all winter because the sun (laughs) is just a little bit closer and it was still below freezing which made the snow still pretty nice. But we just hung out on Marcy Dam. We talked to a bunch of people coming through. Everyone was wearing snowshoes or skis, which is good and is not always the case. And that is a rule out in the High Peaks Wilderness, mostly for safety reasons. The rule is what? In the wintertime, you either have to have snowshoes or skis? Exactly. Yeah. If it's, I think it's either eight or 10 inches of snow. I actually have a friend who was skiing off of, I 
think Marcy and her tip of her ski got caught in a post hole and she broke her tibia, I think. So it's really important that people follow that rule. Okay. So I'm going to stop you for one second. Yeah. For anybody who doesn't know. So Caitlin is in Lake Placid, New York. I'm from Lake Placid, New York, as most of my listeners know, and love to spend as much time there in the summer as I can and spent the first 28 years of my life there. And Lake Placid, New York is, I don't know if it's smack dab in the middle of the Adirondack Park, but it's deep in the Adirondack Park. The Adirondack Park is 6 million acres of public and private land designated forever wild, lots of state land, lots of space, very lightly inhabited there are many peaks and lots of lots of wilderness so lakes and streams and mountains and you know it's way up in the northeast so weather is a big big deal so we're talking about the adirondack park we're talking about the wilderness areas or or part of the wilderness area and the adirondack lodge in the area that you're talking about is in reasonable proximity to lake placid kind of between lake placid and Keene, and what would be to the south like um Beyond Tahawas, um, what's down there? Like Newcomb, Newcomb, Long Lake. Yeah, Newcomb, Long Lake. So really high peaks area of the Adirondack. So there's just a little bit of background. And the reason I ask what you did today, and I'll ask a more specific question, like how many miles do you think you covered today, Caitlin, on skis? Oh, let's see. Probably eight or so. Yeah. Pretty solid day. Yeah, good day. Uh, up and over a mountain twice. <laughs> right. Over and back, right? Like over it. Yeah. yeah. Because yeah, we did it one way and then we did it the next way. Yeah. <laughs> That's way. awesome. I mean, what a treat to be in the high peaks in the winter time. Yeah, it is a huge treat. There were a lot of people there actually today, but it was so beautiful. It made sense. And everyone there seemed like they knew what they were doing and they were locals. It is such a treat to be out there. It's such a special gem that not a lot of people know exists. I know I have a lot of friends who live out West in Utah and Montana and Colorado. And they're like, they call me New York. They're like, okay, okay, New York. <laughs> it's like, you have no idea. Like if I took you out here, you would be like, what, what kind of skiing do you do for fun? <laughs> you know, just like thick bushwhacking to get to, you know, a slide or, a lot of rolling terrain, which makes skinning kind of a bummer sometimes. When right, you're, you're on, you're off. You're... Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So it is very wild here. Just like you said, it's a lot of wild space. People love it here. They love the peace that they get when they come here. Well, let's talk about that a little bit. I think I have the number about right, but like 140,000 people live in the Adirondack Park, I think. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. And it's 6 million acres, right? So it's so the Adirondacks are lightly, really lightly populated. Of course, there are towns like Lake Placid, Saranac Lake, Keene, Keene Valley, and there are other towns sprinkled. It's a public, you know, there are municipalities within the, within the Adirondack Park, but it's a vast and fairly uninhabited place with so many nooks and crannies and so many places to disappear out into the woods and lakes and streams and I mean, it's just spectacular. You're fortunate to be there. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I I did live out West for a winter and I could only think about just coming back here in the summertime. As much as I love skiing, all the snow that was out there compared to here in the wintertime, I just, there's a specific feeling I think the people that love it here get when they think about it 
here, especially in the summertime, but in the wintertime too. And it's kind of indescribable. And I'm a writer too. So I have a hard time with that concept, but I just like, it's a bunch of images that come to mind when I think about it here and, and how unique that is. And I've never experienced that feeling anywhere else. It just feels like home. And I didn't grow up here. I don't have any family here living at least. I am related to John Brown. So I do find that it's really interesting that, you know, he, (laughs) this is a little off topic, but that he has his farm here and is buried here. I don't think anyone in my family has lived in this area since him. So I think that that is pretty interesting. By way of just a little bit of background, John Brown, John Brown's farm is just outside of Lake Placid. And it was part of the Underground Railroad, right? Like on the way to Canada. Exactly. Yeah. Lots of history there. And for anybody who ever goes through Lake Placid, I mean, going and checking out John Brown's farm is pretty cool. I don't think I've ever talked to anybody who's related to John Brown, by the way. (laughs) So I like that. That's cool. You went to St. Lawrence University, as did I. We share an alma mater there in Canton, New York. What a beautiful spot and and a very cool place to go to school. We went a few decades apart. You graduated in 2016, if I'm not mistaken. You're right, yep. And then gravitated towards Lake Placid. Yeah. So I graduated a semester late. So I graduated December of 2016. So I got to walk with my class in May, but then I spent the summer actually in California doing an internship with Powder Magazine. And then I came back. And then I had a few friends that also had to do one more semester for various reasons. I transferred into St. Lawrence, and that's why I had to complete that final semester, but had a few friends that were really excited about living here for the winter, at least. So we found an apartment together. The way I put it is I couldn't think of anywhere else I really wanted to live that felt comfortable to me because I could have moved out West and I could have done that, but I felt like I had the start of a community out here that I had fostered over multiple weekends um, of coming down to the farmer's markets and concerts and farming here. And I did the Adirondack semester, which is a program at St. Lawrence where you live on a lake in a yurt village away from electronics or internet or your phone. Wow. Where was, where was that located? That's on Massawebe Lake, right outside of Tupper Lake. Got it. There's a Boy Scout camp on one end and we're on the other. The Boy Scout camp part was empty. So it was pretty much just us on that lake in the yurts. All of our teachers came to us there were 12 of us. We did expeditions, canoe expedition, backpacking. We had a land use and change course. So we learned about the Adirondacks and how they were divided into like towns and wilderness and wildfire and all the different aspects of the park. So I kind of got a grasp on the area too. And I think that was the semester that I was like, wow, this is home. I can't imagine being anywhere else. And knowing it so well and meeting people who lived here and worked here through that program. So we rented a house in in Raybrook, which is a tiny town in between Lake Placid and Saranac Lake. Right. It's not quite here, not quite there. Exactly. And I worked at a local cross-country ski shop. And then it pretty much just like took off from there. Yeah. So interesting. St. Lawrence, you know, I had a bunch of friends. I was there in the 80s. And a lot of people came to Lake Placid, came into the Adirondacks for the summers because they didn't want to go back down towards New York or Connecticut or wherever. So there were a lot of people, I, I was from Lake Placid, but a lot of St. Lawrence folks came and, and a lot of 
a lot of college students from surrounding colleges came to Lake Placid in the summertime. And again, this was back in the 80s. And drinking age was 18, so that's a little bit different than now. It's 21. And so you could come to Lake Placid and party in the summertime, and it was great. But getting that Adirondack experience, coming in as you did, and then becoming more familiar with the area and what's unique about it. And then, you know, fast forward a couple of years, and you're carving out a life, a living, a way of living. You know, it's not an easy place to live. And it's not an easy place to make a living. And you have to put things together that then can afford you the, I don't want to say the luxury because there is not really much of that. <laughs> it's more provide you the opportunity to live your life there the way you want to live it. Right. And and that's no small feat. I know that. I mean, my family's been there for generations. And so I'm I'm well aware that it's no small feat. Right. Yeah. And it's an interesting time for me, especially because I I'm 26. So I'm in between that age of like, just figuring things out after graduating college, like jumping between places and like starting to look for a house and, you know, real paying, good paying job and kind of settling down in that way. And I have a lot of friends who are maybe a little younger than me or a little older than me who we're all trying to figure out like how to stay here because I don't think anyone ever wants to leave, but they have to, I think, a lot of the times because everyone has obviously different goals and what they believe to be successful, their version of success. And not everyone can find that here, which is understandable. But I do also believe everyone I've met here who is passionate about living here and is part of the community they're one of the most inspiring people that I've ever met. I think because it is so hard to live here, both like climate wise, it's cold and dark here, but also there aren't a lot of jobs. We are, are a tourism economy. We rely a lot on visitors. It's, you know, the balance between making the tourists happy and giving them the things that they need, but also like trying to live our lives and being able to recreate or do the things that we love while still, I don't know, feeding into that economy, I guess. Yeah, feeding into it or feeding off of it, right? It's a symbiotic relationship. It comes with benefits and it comes with drawbacks for sure, right? You know, when people come into a community seasonally or as transients, right, just vacationing, there's a certain amount of, <laughs> like, well, you know, there's an inundation of the of the people, and if they didn't come, there wouldn't be the there wouldn't be the commerce. And it would be, in many ways, much more pleasant for the people that live there. But then pretty soon you probably wouldn't, you know, many wouldn't be able to live there because nobody comes and leaves their money. It is a bit of a catch-22. Yes. And right now I have a lot of friends who either are still working those kind of seasonal gigs and making it work. But I am interested to see, because I have a great community here of young people, which is a little surprising, I think, to a lot of people think about living here or, or whatnot. They just think that there isn't that young, vibrant community, but it is here. It's small, but everyone's pretty close, I guess, in that regard. So I am curious to see like how we all make it work out or if people move away, you know, that sort of thing. Well, and so then that's an interesting segue, I think, into we can certainly open up the conversation that has to do with the Instagram, what do we even call it? The Instagram handle or the Instagram account that you opened up, you know, women of the Adirondacks. 
and we'll get to specifically, you know, how you spell that out and everything, but women of the Adirondacks. And as you say, in your post, kind of giving a little bit of background on you, you kind of just wanted to have a platform where you could celebrate the other strong women in your community and brag about your friends. Right. Who are all, you know, so many badass women doing such great things. Right. So it's interesting because you are, in doing so, you are supporting the community of women who are making their way in the Adirondacks. Right. Yeah. And there are a good amount of them. And I'm sure many that I don't even know. <laughs> well, and we've talked about that a little bit, right? They're multi-generate, like, as you just said, you're 26 years old. I come from a long lineage of strong, capable Adirondack women. And I've had some podcasts with some of them. One last week with Lorraine Duvall, who you and I have talked about, you know, she's in her eighties. She's an author. She's written some really, really cool books. And she and I spoke of you. She would very much like to meet you. And then there's this idea that is percolating in my mind a little bit. And who knows what this looks like, but if you take an Instagram page or account which is women of the Adirondacks, and then you start connecting with more outside of your immediate circle. And that could be something like Lorraine, that could be because there have been generations, many, many, many generations of strong Adirondack women, as you well know. Yeah. Right? Something about that place. Yeah, exactly. Well, I would also love to meet Lorraine. She sounds really amazing. (laughs) Yeah, she's great. And I actually have a note here I don't do a tremendous amount of research before I start these because I like to just roll through the conversation. But I made a note just prior to coming on. And my note is, what do you think of a multi-generational gathering of Adirondack women? Wow. I think that would be amazing. <laughs> right? Like, I don't I don't know what that looks like. I don't, it, it probably is more of a, maybe it's not in the height of summer because everybody's cranking, but maybe it's in one of those, you know, shoulder type seasons. But Lorraine, she's like, oh, I'd really love to meet a bunch of young Adirondack women. My mother's the same way. She's, my mother turns 84 in seven days. Lorraine is 82. I had a buddy who just, who who I grew up with in, in, uh, in Lake Placid. And he just, he lives in Park City out here in Utah where I live. But he went, he just went back to Lake Placid to celebrate his mother's 90th birthday. And he just texted me earlier today and he said, oh, it was awesome, Jeff. He borrowed my car that I keep back there and, and it was great. And he said, it was awesome. I took my mom skiing for her 90th birthday. He was like, it was so fantastic. And he was also reminded, you know, what a great mountain whiteface is. He grew up ski racing there anyway, so he knows. But his mother is a well-known Adirondack photographer and single mom. I never met Morgan's dad, you know, so there's his mother, well-known Adirondack photographer, 90 years old. Let's go skiing at Whiteface for my birthday. And so my point is, so that would be at the far end generationally, because we're not going to get to talk to the people who've passed away. So that's way out there, you know, eighties and 90 and all the way back through and in between back to your age. And then I have a daughter who's, you know, I have two daughters. They're 19 and 20. Everybody knows that. I talk about it regularly. And Taylor, my 20-year-old who's at Ithaca College, spent a really interesting chunk of time in Lake Placid this summer. She got there in the middle of August and stayed in well into October before she went down to Ithaca to plug back into school. And so she was there historically in her life. She was there in July and August during, you know, quote unquote, summer. 
And this year she got there kind of as the window was closing on summer and she got to watch and be a part of the Adirondacks changing, you know, the seasons changing in the Adirondacks. Yeah, that's a very special time. Which is so unique. And it's one of those places in the world where you really feel it. Right? Yeah. Like you get to see it. It shows its colors and it, and it's, you know, it's vibrant and spectacular. And Yeah. I love that idea of a multi-generational get together. I feel like those sorts of things have happened before in other capacities, whether it be like the Equal Rights Amendment, the Women's Convention in the 70s, I think it was. That was like more of a political get together, but something like that where I don't know where it would take place to be feasible, but then having, you know, workshops or speakers. Yeah. And support, right? So like you just said, you're at this time in life where you, you know, as somebody said on one of my podcasts, not that long ago, like nobody gives a shit what you do in your twenties. So do whatever you want to do in your twenties. And then, as you said, you're 26. And so you're starting to look at, you know, what's it going to look like a little ways down the road, right? Like, how am I going to make, what am I going to do? And so, you know, do what you want to do in your twenties and, and put it all together and then things will start to gel. But as you said, People want to stay, but it can be very difficult to stay there. And I could imagine, and partly this is your Women of the Adirondacks Instagram piece, where you're supporting each other, women who don't know each other. Some might be farming, some might be jewelry makers, some might be doing this, providing that, this creative thing. And now you're starting to create some community and some support, right, where the word can get out more broadly about what people are doing, what they have to offer. And I would imagine that a a physical gathering has the potential to further kindle that fire. Yeah, absolutely. Which would be cool, right? Like, oh, you know, there's Lorraine and she's got her books and here you are doing what you do. And we'll keep that going because I know for sure that my mother, Lorraine, you, I've just mentioned it to you. I, I imagine there's some way to put it together and say, hey, let's start this. It seems like a really cool idea. And I'm I'm a big fan of, I'm a big fan geographically of the Adirondacks. I love to spend as much time there in the summer as I can. And I'm also a big supporter and proponent and fan of strong, independent women. I come from a long line of them. I married Fiona, who falls into that category, two daughters who fall into that category. It's a passion of mine to acknowledge and be aware. If not for women, we would be a mess. (laughs) Thank you very much. Like, it wouldn't work. If it were up to men, we'd be probably in trouble. So, (laughs) Thank you for listening to All Things Big and Small, ATBS, the podcast. My name is Keith Gorman, good friend of Jeff Vollmerich. Jeff's doing some wonderful things. I encourage you to become a patron. Go to atbs.com and click on the patron link. Now back to the program. I made another note that, did you know that yesterday, February 3rd, was National Girls and Women in Sports Day. Oh, I did not. I thought that was something I probably should have known. <laughs> hmm. Or not. You know, it was a 35-year anniversary of National Girls and Women in Sports Day. Wow. So it's not a new thing. It's been around a while. There were a lot of Instagram posts and the ATBS episode that is out the week of February 4th, which is when you and I are recording, was with one of my daughter's coaches, one of Taylor's coaches, who's a a badass woman, you know, herself. And all of them, they're all in the crew, the business of women's crew. 
And so it was all over Instagram. I follow a bunch of that stuff, but national girls and women in sports day, right? Like women supporting women, motivating, inspiring each other. It was really cool. Kind of fits in with what we're talking about. That was yesterday. And by the time we put this episode out, it'll be three weeks or a month ago. But so let's go to Instagram. You have your own Caitlin Kelly Instagram account, which I think I just started following the other day. We know each other a little bit because I happen to be the, have the good fortune to have had my father give me a, a house in Lake Placid that he owned for 40 years before he passed away. And so I manage that and you live in one of the apartments there. And so we've gotten to know each other a little bit over the past couple of years, which I'm grateful for. And I always enjoy being you know friendly with the people who live there. And so through our knowing each other, somehow I became aware of the Instagram account that you started, which is women of the Adirondacks, women spelled with an X, yeah, M-X-N, women, and Adirondacks being abbreviated to A-D-K, yes. Yes. So women of the Adirondacks. And why don't you just give us a little bit of background on what it was? I know I mentioned like you just wanted to brag about your friends, but let's talk a little bit about what led you to say, hey, I want to do this. And you've got a bunch of followers and it looks like a great community of women supporting each other. Of course, I follow along and people supporting each other. Yeah. So let's see. It kind of started. So I was on a mountain bike ride with a few friends of mine who are all women. And this was this summer, I think maybe September. And we were thinking about, you know, we were like having so much fun being together, especially during the pandemic and being safe and whatnot. And we all were lamenting how much we missed being with friends and around people. We were kind of joking about it at first, like maybe like we could start a maybe mountain bikers of the other, but we were like, that's too specific. And there's a Instagram page called Ski the Dax. And we were like, oh, maybe we could have like a women skiing in the Adirondacks, something like that. Cause that page hadn't posted any photos of women yet, which we were all kind of like grumpy about. <laughs> that's the Ski the Dax page. Yeah. <laughs> it was all, it's all boys all the time, yeah. all men all the time. Yeah, right. Exactly. So we were like, we should do something to combat that. <laughs> so then we were like, well, let's be like the most inclusive we can be. So like, how about all women of the Adirondacks? And we can just take turns like posting about different women who live here. And that was the big, you know, people who live here, not people who recreate here because it is different. So we post specific photos of the women that live here and make a living here. And then a lot of other women who love to hike here or ski here or whatever, they'll tag us still. And I'll share their photos in our stories on Instagram so that they still get a voice on the platform because I don't want anyone to feel left out, but it is definitely like to highlight the women that live here. We kind of decided that and I was like, I'll spearhead it. My friend Maddie Fanoff, she's a biathlete. She's on the US women's biathlon team and she was helping me out this fall as we were kind of getting going and figuring out our direction. And then now she's in Europe. So she is racing and really busy. So she's taking a break while she does that. And so it's just me behind the scenes right now. Um, but then going into the, you know, inclusivity aspect of it, language is constantly changing, which I feel like is especially 
relevant in the gender identity realm, I guess. I have a lot of non-binary friends. Their pronouns are they, them, instead of she, her, or he, him. So I wanted to basically create the most inclusive page for people who didn't identify as a cisgender male. So like what word to use to really be the most inclusive. And I did a lot of research. I took a lot of gender studies courses at St. Lawrence. The language part wasn't new to me. Like I was aware of how language is working within the, sorry, I'm jumbling my words here. It's fine because, right, it's a fascinating subject, right? Right. And and things are changing so rapidly. You're not the only one, right? Like I stumble around it all the time. Right. Like, okay, what am I saying here? And what am I trying to say? So fire away, no worries. Yeah. And so I'm like, I'm not an expert either. And I don't continue to study this. I just, you know, I read about it in my free time, but I'm, yeah, like I said, I'm not an expert. I'm just doing my best. So I talked to, like I said before, a few of my non-binary friends, a few of my friends who are trans women, and then kind of put out a survey on the Instagram page itself. Like, what do you guys think? Like, do you think women with an X or women without an X, you know, with an E? Long story short, in the, I think it was second wave feminism, a lot of women started spelling women with a Y as a form of separating women from men. Like they're not the root of us. We are our own separate thing, I guess. Then somewhere along the line that became very exclusive to just white women. So then women with an X came around. I'm not sure exactly the timeline, but that was a way in which it wasn't a racial thing. It was all inclusive to everyone the big argument with the women with an X is that creating a word for like trans women, we don't need to create a new word for them because they are women. That's how they identify. But that's not necessarily like the only reason that women with an X was created as a word. I've heard this from a few of my non-binary friends. It's to include people who identify they, them, but used to identify with she, her. So that is still a part of their identity in some ways, but it's not how they identify. If that makes sense. Again, I identify with she, her, so I can't really speak to everyone (laughs) or someone different than I, but this is from who I've talked to and the survey I did on the page, everyone was kind of overwhelmingly like women with an X that's, and a lot of people disagree with me. I get a lot of (laughs) messages that say, as you said, as you've said, right. That this is really offensive and how could I do this? (laughs) But what it comes down to is this is what this community prefers. And maybe this community is mostly people of a certain type, but we are serving this community until someone says like, hey, I feel really unrepresented or insulted by the words you're using, then I will change the words I decide. Right, right. And so... Here on ATBS, the podcast, we when we put up show notes, you know, women in the Adirondacks will be there. And just for clarity, it's women spelled with an X, W-O-M-X-N, of the ADKs, right? So hashtag women of the Adirondacks. You know, one of the things I try and do here is every subject is not an easy subject. There you were just trying, you know, explaining, and it's not an easy subject. 
it's not cut and dry. So there isn't a yes and a no and a easy answer. Right. And that's the way life is. <laughs> it's not all simple yay or nay. You know, it's just not the way life is. Life is complex. Life is messy. We're willing to have conversations that are not necessarily comfortable. We're willing to listen with the intent to understand. And then in return or in response, we're willing to try and understand and not necessarily just respond with something like a knee-jerk response. Anyway, my point there is that, you know, life's messy. It always has been. But, you know, it gets more complex all the time, all, all of what you were just talking about. It's a very complex subject, and it's fluid. It's more fluid today than it's ever been, I think. I don't know that. I'm not an expert, but it sure seems like it. And so keeping up and knowing what's going on. So I would like to say this, that you started an Instagram account to support women who live in the Adirondacks who are making their way. Regardless of how you identify, you are doing your best to make it inclusive of that group. Your intent is to have a, a supporting community, a supportive community. Really what it comes down to, I want everyone to feel like they have space at the table. This sounds like really juvenile, but like many people, I was bullied in middle school and <laughs> it was like the worst feeling to not fit in with the people that you think are the coolest people and you want to be friends with them. You know, that's a horrible feeling. I just have always internalized how bad that feels and to never make anyone feel like they don't belong. They don't have a voice. And I truly deeply feel that way. So like small example, people are talking in a circle together. It could be at work. It could be, you know, anywhere. And sometimes people don't always open up the circle to new people that show up. I always make sure I open up the circle. And that's such a small mm. thing. And I think most people do that, but it's small gestures like that, you know, looking at them and smiling at them and knowing that, you know, letting them know that they belong, even if they just walked in. We need more of that in the world. Yeah. Open the circle up, give a nod and a smile and bring people in and make them feel welcome. That's a platform. Let's do that. Exactly. Yeah. There's no reason to shut people out when they just arrive, you know, that's the worst feeling. So, and I want to make the Instagram page, that online community, when we can't get together in person, feel like the circle is being opened up. Love that. Yeah. I love that. We'll segue here into, you know, you've had people, you put it up there, you're supporting each, you know, other women, you wanted to talk about your friends, other people are chiming in. And then we talked a little bit before we turned the microphones on that people are chiming in with some people are offended and how could you possibly do this? And I think it fits with the idea of, you know, being in a circle and having a conversation and somebody else shows up and you open the circle up and there's some inclusion. And in so doing, we open ourselves up for new perspective, possibly new dialogue, certainly a new person, you know, a new point of view. And if we're sitting around in a circle, and I've used the analogy, like if we're sitting on the front porch having a chat and using the circle analogy, we're sitting around, we're having a good conversation. The way we communicate with each other is, generally speaking, pretty civil, supportive, understanding. There might be some heated discussion. You know, there will be differences of opinion. But generally, you know, we're there. And when we're face-to-face, -face, we behave a certain way, hopefully. 
hopefully. But that's not exactly how it works on social media platforms. It seems, for whatever reason, that people feel a whole lot more free to toss mm, barbs, criticisms, things that might not be said face-to-face. In many cases, you know, in my opinion, would never, wouldn't be said face-to-face. And this is not just unique to women in the Adirondacks. This is, this is the world we're living in, right? People are willing to throw stuff around if they're not face-to-face. So how do we deal with that? Like, let's, let's open that up a little bit. And there you are trying to be as inclusive as you can be. Did a survey, you put a poll out there, and you are being as inclusive as you can be and as supportive of the group that you're trying to support as possible. And periodically, people are throwing, throwing darts or throwing barbs at you, which if they knew you, and hopefully maybe they'll listen to this and they'll go, oh, well, I get it. You're not trying to offend anybody. No, that's never the, never what I'm trying to do. But the fact that people will do what they do on a social media platform, and it happens with texts, it happens with emails, it certainly happens in this, you know, like you can have a handle that people don't really know who you are and you can fire crap at people across Instagram. And it saddens me, really. You know, how do we get past that? So I've been thinking about this a lot too, because I do get those messages like, I think you're using the wrong words. I don't think you're highlighting the right types of women, et cetera. I think it's easy to message, whether it's like a group on Facebook or if it's an Instagram page that doesn't have a face as the logo or the icon. You know, the Women of the Adirondacks page has a graphic designer designed our logo. So there's no face there. You could be talking to anyone when you message. So there's a lack of empathy just from the start. I think that has a lot to do with it. I think social media is confusing because you could read a local newspaper, you could read a magazine, and you can always write a letter to the editor like, hey, you wrote this piece I didn't agree with. And there's always that room for questioning and checks and balances, et cetera. With Instagram or with Facebook or online communities, there is no such thing. There's an e- I have an email attached to the account, but people take, you know, messaging that account or community as like the same thing, but it's, it's not the same thing. You're still almost trespassing into someone's personal space and time and energy. So what you and I've talked about before this podcast is kind of normalizing that idea of asking someone if they have the space to hear their thoughts on something before all the words come out and all of the emotions come out when they're hot and maybe not very kindly. I do think a lot of the problems that we have on these internet platforms is the lack of empathy, the inability for many people to see that there is actually another person on another screen somewhere out there that's reading those words. It's hard. It's difficult to remember that. But if you really take time to internalize that, I, I don't think it's that hard. Everyone has feelings, you know? Right. And it's so true. So it's a big subject and... You know, we can all take a little something away from that, right? Like if we're using our thumbs or our fingers and we're typing somehow, it doesn't take away from the simple fact that there's another human on the other end, whether it be, you know, you who's put women of the Adirondacks together, you name it, there are others involved and we would do well to 
temper, like not not just fire out with what's on our mind, right? Like give it some consideration before we before we push things out there, before we find fault, before we criticize. Clearly, there's another project here, which is going to be exciting. We're going to have some conversation. We're going to be able to continue on about, hmm, how are we going to get everybody together? That'd be super fun. I'd love to, I'd love to see that. Yeah, <laughs> me too. <laughs> I read somewhere on Instagram, and I think it was actually, I'd been on Women of the Adirondacks. And then, of course, you can go down the rabbit hole, right? Like you can go look at other people and who's doing what. And some site that is based in the Adirondacks was talking about the idea of getting more capable, intelligent, young people to move into the Adirondacks, to have it be a more vibrant community supporting itself. So it's not all necessarily tourism-based, where if the community got big enough, well, then there's support within the community. Well, if somebody's farming or if somebody is has some service or some product, if the community's big enough, there's support within the community that will help that continue on. It doesn't matter if somebody's building canoes or if they're making jewelry or or farming, you know, organic farming or something like that. Like the more people who are aware, the more support there can be. I think that's really interesting. Like Lorraine Duval, who has three books out, the more people who know that about her, that's how she survives, you know, like by selling her books. So anyway, fascinating there. Let's transition a little bit to Another interesting, topical, challenging subject, which is the subject of equality, equanimity, equality, discrimination. You are a ski patroller at Whiteface. Yes. Right. Yeah. We forgot to mention that. (laughs) I also do that. You're ski patrolling at Whiteface. You work in the high peaks both summer and winter. You work for the Department of Environmental Conservation. So you're on trail crew, winter, you know, you're out skiing around. And for anybody who doesn't, like, this is this is Adirondack backcountry skiing. It's not, you know, it's, anyway. So you're out there working. And then this summer, last summer you were at Marcy Dam. This summer you're going to be at Lake Colden as what I read as caretaker, correct? Yep. So- out in the mountains, living your life in the mountains, when I first met you, you were on summertime on the trail crew and you spend four or five nights in the mountains every week. When you were first leasing the apartment for me, like, I remember like, hey, I'm not going to be around for the next five days because, <laughs> you know, because there isn't any connectivity and you're out working in in the high peaks in the mountains and then you come back and you're carving out a life in the Adirondacks and I would say strong Adirondack woman. And yet when you walk into the DEC office or the maintenance department, you're not treated equally all the time. No. And, and on ski patrol too. Um, yeah. I, I mean, my, my overall theory though, is that (laughs) men are just, afraid of most women. So <laughs> they're like, that's the backbone of it all. <laughs> but unfortunately, all women will be able to relate to this in some way. Say it's maybe it's caretaking in the Adirondacks and I'm on a search and rescue and I have to help carry someone out. Because of my stature, I'm not typically carrying 
you know, the injured person out, I will be, you know, carrying gear or something like that. So that's a physical limitation. But then on ski patrol, my voice isn't as deep as other men's voices in the room. So someone will be asking a question. Maybe I have the answer because I'm in charge of dispatch for that specific moment. No one's hearing my voice. (laughs) It's incredibly frustrating when I have, everyone's like, I don't know. I don't know. And everyone's speaking and it's like, yep, that was already done. That was (laughs) our, and no one hears me. So, you know, that can be incredibly frustrating or just it happens when you least expect it, where someone shoots a comment. Maybe I don't know them. They work in a different department and they say something like looking good. And then they walk away. And what am I, I'm at work. How do I respond to that? You know, it happens so quickly and especially on trail crew where people ask if I need help or what am I doing out here all by myself? And if you think about it too much, it's pretty disheartening because you can get really down about it where you think about all the little things that happen to you in a day and how they wouldn't happen to you if you're a man, probably. And then how do you deal with that? How do you, how do you make a difference? How do you educate? It's really complicated. And even though we have all of these strong women that live here, it doesn't really change much in some regard, you know? Right. Multifaceted question, multifaceted issue for sure. Right. And you and I have had enough conversations that you know that I, you know, I follow this stuff. I'm curious about, you know, professionally, there are organizations and the female quotient is one that, you know, I mean, I know this woman who, in business, it's all about equality. One of the things that she stated is this isn't going to happen just because women, uh, you know, it's not going to be strictly a, a women only movement. You got to have men involved, right? You got to have men involved who, who get involved in the, and I, I'm not saying it's our job. I'm just saying that it's a collaborative combined effort where, you know, if I'm going along and I hear some man be discriminatory then it's my job to say something. Right. Right? It's not my job to protect women. It's just like, it's it's the same as bullying. If you just stand back and let it happen, then you're complicit. It's everybody getting involved. It, well, everybody who cares. Exactly. Using our voices in a way that is, and this is ATBS, the podcast, is you know trying to present information in a non-dogmatic, non-judgmental, hopefully sometimes entertaining way. For me, that's how I have to wade into a conversation, you know, like this. Exactly. And it really is important that men are on board with this because in those cases where if, you know, someone like you says like, hey, you know, say it has to do with gender identity and you say, hey, actually, you know, Ashley really preferred, it is their pronoun. They're not preferred. You know what I mean? So hey, actually, Ashley goes by they, them uses they, them pronouns. It's really important that you respect their identity, something like that. You say that, and that sometimes comes through a little better than if maybe, <laughs> unfortunately, someone like me were to say that in the same tone, in the same way, because, you know, I could walk away and then that guy would just be like, she's crazy. You know? <laughs> this is the easy, like <laughs> easy thing to say about a woman when challenges another man, but you're right. It is super important when men get involved because sometimes those words go a little further, which is, which is important. Well, and if we can share because, because we, (laughs) this is interesting. (laughs) So 
you know, here I am, and I've said this, and I'm perfectly comfortable saying this, you know, 57-year-old privileged white male have lived a wonderful life. And, you know, I mean, I have my own challenges and so on and so forth. And anybody who's listened to the podcast knows what they are. I don't make any bones. You know, I don't, I don't hide my stuff, right? My stuff's pretty well out there. As one of my friends said after the first episode, which was a friend of mine co-hosting and interviewing me, and we went through this, you know, hour and four, and it's like episode one and episode three or something like that, whatever. They're the thriving episodes with Jeff Ulmerich. Who's Jeff Ulmerich? And at the end, he said, are you going to put all that out there? <laughs> like, I said, yeah, I, I, got, I got nothing to hide. I've got nothing to hide. If my life and, you know, I have cancer, I have pneumonia, I, da, 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 not to, you know, have anybody feel sorry for me, but, you know, like, it's not a bed of roses, and there's stuff to be dealt with in life. As I like to say, well, you know, birthdays, you know, I've got people in the family. I've just had a birthday. My sister had, today's my sister's birthday. Yesterday was my wife's birthday. And in a week, my mother's birthday. You know, and as I like to say to people, look, it's a privilege getting old. Aging is a privilege. The alternative is we don't get to play this game of having the human experience in this life anymore. Oh, yeah, you're done. Well, I like this game. I like playing this game. In some ways that requires, or hmm, doesn't really require, but it kind of begs for us to be, this is interesting, men, he, him, could be they, them, are, but let's just say he, him, right? Cisgender, male, you know, it's not generally or really widely accepted for men to show their vulnerability. This is a pretty common subject on, on ATBS, the podcast at this point, because I am male and I'm willing to share or expose my vulnerability and I'm willing to put it out there. And in turn, like I had a fire ceremony a couple of weeks ago where I invited a couple of guys over and, and really it was in support of men. It's not really easy to be just within the context of men, okay, can I actually share my deepest fears with my buddies? Do men really do that? Is that really acceptable? And it is, you know, like, yeah, there are men's circles, but my intent with the fire ceremony was, hey, look, guys, let's have a place that's safe where you can come if it's appropriate, if you feel like it. If you have fears and you have things and you want to unload some shit, feel free. There'll be no judgment. There'll be support. We're not going to give you a pass. If you want to be held accountable, you know, we can do that for each other. But very rarely are there opportunities in this life, in, in our culture, for men to be vulnerable. Right. You're absolutely right. Right. And so it's not a male-female thing, but I mean, here we are talking about, you know, women of the Adirondacks and, and discrimination and things like that. This is, not a, this is not a discriminatory thing, but we all need support. You know, we humans... <laughs> Regardless of how we identify, with regardless of what color we are, what background we are, what race or what religion or, you know, what gender or how we, like, we all, we, we're a social creature. We, we can support each other. Right. Exactly. And, well, I say this, I am a radical feminist, you know, and, but feminism is equality for, for everyone. Everyone's equal, men and women, non-binary people, you know? So it's not really that crazy of a concept, but I say this a lot. It is pretty generally known that we live in, you know, a patriarchal society, right? Where men really hold most of the power. 
I often say, and this relates exactly to what you're saying, how the patriarchy really, it doesn't benefit anyone in the end. Like maybe it gives men a leg up in the job sector or whatever, but it tells men that they can't be vulnerable and they can't cry and they can't be feminine in any way. And they have to uphold a certain standard and stereotype. And then that women are lesser than, you know, all of the stuff that comes with that, but really it doesn't benefit anyone because it it oppresses women. And then it, it holds men to such really unrealistic standard. Exactly. Which is unfair and it's not right. And it causes a lot of deeper issues with not being able to, to show emotion or cry or talk about that. And some men don't want to do that. And that's too much. And that's, you know, again, we're accepting of everyone here and that's okay too. Here we are on ATBS, the podcast. There are, you know, some number of people who listen every single week. January was a, was the best month that I've had. You know, I think we had ATBS, the podcast was heard 1250 times in the month of January or something like that. So various episodes, there are people out there listening. And so thank you to those of you who are out there listening. I'm, I'm grateful. I appreciate it. Hopefully we open some doors and into some new ways of thinking. And what do you want to share with listeners, you know, where to connect, how to support each other? You know, like, do you want more people to come to the Adirondacks periodically? Like not so much just visitors, but it would it be a good idea if more people lived there and made a living there? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You think so? Yeah, I do. Um, lived here, like really lived here and supported the economy. Right now is weird, you know, because of COVID, a lot of people can work from home and those businesses aren't based here. I don't know if it's like this in Utah, but like the housing market is absolutely crazy right now. Everything's selling really high because people are moving out of the city and moving here, which is a little frustrating to someone like me who's looking at land and and how for like long term, but nothing is in my price range right now. But I live here, you know, I work here and I support the economy here. I do think though that wild spaces are incredibly important and important to everyone and how that is unfortunately a luxury of our time. Yeah. I don't ever want to shut people out from a place because I think as long as there's respect for the land and the people who live here, the people who work here, you know, I think there's a space for everyone. I don't know if that answers your question, but. Well, I think, I think it does. There are a couple things in there for sure, right? Like one of them is, you know, I live in Park City, Utah, pretty popular place. Housing market is, you know, crazy. You know, we used to have boom towns and now we have Zoom towns. So many people are working from home. So many people are working remotely, which is, I think there's going to be great benefit from that over the long haul. There's this realization like, oh, I can actually be living more of a rounded life. I can get outdoors. I can live in a a wonderful place. I can do my work. I can appreciate the outdoors. I can support all that. And I think there will be benefit of that. The downside, of course, which you just pointed out is, you know, drives up real estate prices and, and things like that. I will share this with you because I've talked to a bunch of young people in my life who, who have said Park City is a pretty expensive place to live, right? Like real estate's pretty expensive here. And there are mm, at least three examples for, uh, and now that I think about it, maybe a few more, but there are at least four examples of young people who came to work in an organization that I, that I used to work in, that my wife and I had. 
and in their 20s. And people would say all too often, well, there's no way you can afford to live in Park City. There's no way you can afford to buy anything. And each and every one of those four, they're all married. They each own real estate. In all cases, have kids now. And they stretched and they made it work. This is over like two decades. But it's very easy to be like, yeah, you can't afford to do anything here. But the reality is you will because you love it and you'll figure it out. And, you know, it may not be a place on Mirror Lake Drive and Lake Placid, but it'll be something, especially for people like yourself who are motivated, right? Like clearly capable, clearly motivated, clearly a passion for the place. That's part of the gathering thing, right? Right. Yeah. Well, let's get a whole bunch of people together and go, okay, how do you do this? Like, what's what are some of the ways that this can happen? It's a very interesting conversation. I suspect you and I, I hope, will be able to revisit some of these things. Certainly, we can revisit them in, in face-to-face conversation because I'll be in Lake Placid within a couple of months, certainly as spring turns to summer and I will be there and I look forward to furthering our dialogue. But I also look forward to supporting you Women of the Adirondacks, Instagram, anybody who's out there, you know, go and check it out. And I think over time, like I noticed somebody, one of the people that's highlighted on Women of the Adirondacks, you know, lets it be known that she has a line of jewelry. I can't think of her name right now, but she has a line of jewelry. And there was another one that was highlighted not long ago, and she has a farm down in Keene or Keene Valley. And I, there's no question that with more awareness, there's more support. Right, exactly. Right. And I've had people on the podcast, like, I don't know if you're familiar with Birch Boys, Chaga over in Tupper Lake, Garrett Cop. Yeah. Okay. Well, Garrett's been on the podcast twice. You know, he's younger than you. He started his business when he was in it, you know, like when he was 16 or something. Right. And a lot of people who heard his podcast, we did one called Powerful Polypores. And a lot of people who listen to ATBS, the podcast have become fans and customers of Garrett and Birch Boys. And so I will say to my listeners, you know, check out Women of the Adirondacks on Instagram and go and look at what these women are doing, right? There's some of them are, you know, hiking the Adirondacks in the wintertime, the 46. Some are making jewelry. Some are, you know, like you carving out, you know, a life of ski patrolling and being deep in the mountains. The fact that you get to be the caretaker at Lake Cold, like I, I want nothing more this summer than to come and see you. Oh, you should definitely. <laughs> right? like, I, I finished my forty six. I went to a little summer camp called Wood Smoke at the end of Lake Placid, and I finished my forty six when I was thirteen years old, and it was too much too soon. <laughs> yeah, it was just it was like drinking from a fire hose, right? I was <laughs> slogging around in the Adirondacks, and I was and I was young, and we didn't have great gear, and but man, I wow, I'd love to come up there and see you this summer. Yeah, you should. It's an amazing, amazing walk just to get to there. Oh my gosh, I know, I know. Well, let's see, Caitlin, I don't know what else to say. I I feel like we have covered so much good ground. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm grateful for your time and I'm grateful for your enthusiasm, your honesty, your efforts, which are so inclusive. And I'm grateful you're in the Adirondacks. I'm, I'm so glad to know that you're there and that there are many 
not unlike you. And there's one who I, you know, who it's her birthday today, my sister. And she, you know, she lives 175 feet from where you are, Yeah, you know, and she loves being there and brings her a game to living there and has for 60 years today. Wow. You know, it's cool. A lot of really, really good people in a really, really cool part of the world. I'm grateful to be able to come and be a part of it periodically. And I'm super grateful to be able to share your story with the ATBS community. Yeah. Yeah. It is an incredible part of the world. And I appreciate you taking the time to have me here and to ask all these complicated and interesting questions, but also to the listeners who maybe heard something totally new today or different or unlike anything they ever, you know, thought about before and are maybe taking a chance to think about some of the things that I said. Like I said, I graduated, you know, not too long ago. So a lot of these concepts I studied pretty meticulously in college and and they're not necessarily new to me. Like we kind of talked about before things are always changing, but it has become a part of my everyday vocabulary. And I'm acknowledging that that might not be the case for everyone, which is okay. But I think that's why you know, this podcast is so cool because you do touch on so many different topics and you do expand people's minds in that way. That's my intention is, you know, if we can, if we can have open dialogue and we can open some doors in people's minds and, you know, I love the different perspectives, right? Lorraine was on and she's north of 80 and you're 26. And, and I've talked to people and, and Garrett who, you know, is over in Tupper Lake, you know, a fair number of the episodes are with people that have Adirondack ties, but then, you know, just as quickly, I'm, you know, I'm all over the place talking to molecular biologists. And last week I had a car actually next by the time this comes out, the the episode that I'm about to talk about will have been out for a couple of weeks. One of my very good friends said to me, you know, because I ask people this all the time, like, what do you want? Where do you think I should go? What would you like to hear about? Right. And he said, this is like the smartest guy that I know. He's been on the episode, Rich Hamilton. He's done all the epigenetic episodes. He's a molecular biologist, whip smart. And he said, you know, Jeff, why don't you go talk to some biologist or maybe an astrologer and talk about the big questions that we don't have answers to yet. And so I called the astrology department at the University of Utah, cold called, and ended up talking to the co-chair of the astrology, I'm sorry, the astronomy and astrophysics department. And his name is, is Ben. And, and we had this incredible conversation about all the things in the universe that we don't know. Wow. A whole lot of other things too, but you know, like I said to him, I said, like, what don't we know, Ben? And he said, well, like 98% of what's out there in the universe, we have, we've put two labels on it. One is dark matter. One is dark energy. We don't know what either one is. (laughs) We have no definition for each of them. And that's like 98% of what's out in the universe. Hmm. That'll, that'll make your head spin, right? Like, oh, okay. Like, what don't we know? We don't know that. So I guess my whole point there is thank you very much for acknowledging that, you know, at TBS podcast, we go all over the place. And people have said to me, like, all things big and small, why? And I'm like, because there's so much to talk about. There's so many great people and so many great subjects to talk about. So again, Caitlin, Kelly, thank you so much for being on with me. I'll put 
notes in the in the show notes so people know where to find you and see what you're doing. And we'll put some other, you know, little tidbits in there so that people know where to go and, you know, how to behave when they're up in the high peaks and how to enjoy the Adirondacks in a responsible, supportive way. Sounds great. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to ATBS, the podcast, and this episode with Caitlin Kelly. I encourage you to follow Caitlin and her crew at Women of the ADKs on Instagram. Until next time, take a walk in the woods as soon as possible. Peace. Peace.